Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Train Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell. Thanks for joining us. Today, I've got a special show for you if you are a hardcore cocktail nerd, which if you're listening to this show, I assume you are, and definitely if you're a tiki-file. Uh, today, we've got Garrett Richard on the show. He's the former bartender at Existing Conditions. Uh, he's currently running the Sunken Harbor Club in Brooklyn, and he's just come out with a new book last year called Tropical Standard. Welcome to the show, Garrett. Glad to be here. Long, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny that you say that because before we had actually ever met, um, I guess I was kind of aware of your name, but I didn't know what you really looked like. And the first time I went to Existing Conditions, I was in the middle of winter and it was fucking cold. Um, and we dropped in and I think we were like one of only four people in the place. My wife went to go hang up her coat and he was like, he, you, <laughs> you were like, oh, you're going to love this. I know you're a rum nerd. And I was like, shit, am I that obvious? So I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I missed that bar. That was a kick-ass place, man. You know, uh, I guess there's a lot of places that aren't around with us anymore. It was definitely one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. And the team was so strong. We're still, you know, we still keep in contact with each other quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it was nice to be able to tell some of the story of existing conditions in, you know, through Tropical Standard, like every once in a while, be able to, you know, drop some stories or some knowledge from the team at existing, uh, you know, because it, it definitely shaped my life and the way that I made cocktails, like after working with Dave Arnold and Don Lee, it was like, I gave myself a factory reset and kind of reevaluated everything that I had done previously. Well, I'm glad point. you said that because that's, I, I, it's something that we've really never sat down and talked because every time we are crossing paths, it's like literally crossing paths. Like I'm running to do prep work yeah. and you're yeah. running to do prep work in a different direction or we're going to events. And so, um, you know, I've, I've listened to podcasts. I've heard you interviewed on other shows and, you know, uh, you hear a lot of talk about the new book, which we're definitely going to get to, but I want to talk about how you got into like this particular kind of nerdy, uh, you know, modernist cocktail uh, movement, because I love it. And I don't really have an opportunity to do that so much. Um, but I've very much been very into like the modernist cocktail and modernist food movement since we really it since it started picking up steam and then kind of you know jumped the shark there in the uh, 2010s but regardless i mean it's absolutely fascinating using like you know extremely modern techniques on extremely old cocktails i mean how did you get introduced to like that segment of the uh of the industry and really get your teeth into it yeah um well i think sort of uh, to start from here and then rewind i think kind of where my work lies now is I'm always trying to learn something new at the same time, refine something that I've already worked on. Like it's, you know, and maybe it's like a 60, 40 blend at some point, but uh, I think I got to this place because, um, you know, originally when I first started in the industry, I was in grad school. I was working at WFUV radio um, as a, grad student, you know, slash, you know, uh, production assistant. Um, and I loved Dave Arnold's podcast when it first started. I mean, it's, I, it's still amazing, but, uh, cooking issues. And I was a big fan of what he was doing in heritage radio network. And, you know, it was kind of like the perfect synthesis for what I was interested in at the time was, 
you know, radio and the emerging podcast movement with, you know, my nerdiness for food and drink. But uh, to like rewind further, I, I so in high school, I did work at a clear channel station that was like a lounge station. It was called Fabulous 690. It was on it was on AM radio and it was music, which just shows how much faith Clear Channel had in the actual <laughs> yeah, right. format. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, there's no AM music stations. Um, but it was cool because because it was sort of like off the radar. They like allowed me to do a lot of stuff that like you know someone my age wouldn't be able to do. Um, I got to edit like all of the inter- all, all the sessions that Gary Owens did. Gary Owens was like an announcer on Laughing. He was a DJ on the station. He was a voice of Space Ghost. So like that was like one of my main assignments. Um, but when I was there, I started to get exposed to some of the instrumental lounge stuff, like like the Ultra Lounge series that Capitol Records came out with. Oh, yeah. And, I remember it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, late 90s glory um, yeah, yeah. capital records but you know they didn't play that all the time it, they were mostly playing standards and they were playing some kind of rockabilly revival stuff and and you know like brian setzer but whenever some of those ultra lounge tracks came on i just fell in love with them and then on my own later started to explore that series and the coolest thing about that series was you know the artwork and the the uh the cocktails that were in the back and that intrigued me and i was sort of at the time just you know trying new things like trying to teach myself to cook and all that other stuff and um reading these recipes i was like at some point i need to teach myself how to make these drinks and (laughs) so i kind of came at cocktails through the music first and then Slowly literally started to literally through yeah. the little book yeah. that that's that's amazing yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and i mean it was kind of fun to see like what uh you know compilations were paired with what cocktails like you know like the uh the the one that was all organ music was like here's a tom collins i'm not sure why tom collins equals organ music but, right you know. <laughs> well, it, it brings to mind you know brother cleave talking about you know touring in the eighties and, you know, um, getting Campari to, to sponsor just because they'd had a, had a drink on listed on their card. I mean, it's crazy how yeah, so many of us kind of come from uh, uh, the music and, and, and end up staying, you know, in the industry. That's, you definitely have the most unique story so far though. Clay, I, I, I got to talk to him at Tiki by the Sea about the Ultra Lounge series. And he said he did, he did contribute to like, um, curating some of the tracks mm. for it i don't know mm. in in what regard but i mean that totally makes sense and also yeah, i right. you know like some of those tracks have more than one track on them as if a dj is putting them together and like that seems like that's what he did <laughs> on that I, you know i don't know we we were you know there's many other things going on but he's like yeah i worked on that series i contributed to it and i was like really <laughs> he contributed yeah. to practically everything i feel like and, you know, yeah. I, I, last time I checked, he, his mixes were still up on Mixcloud. And I absolutely love to put them on for that exact reason that you just mentioned. Like, they are a real mix. It's not just somebody, like, DJing and, you know, fading one song into another. They are actually well-mixed, just well-done lists. And I'm, I miss the man terribly. And, you know, he was, in large part, you know, one of the reasons I took such a long hiatus from the show was just, it was, I don't know, disturbing, I guess, to lose a, lose a good friend. Understandable. And, 
yeah. <laughs> especially somebody that it was such a giant in our industry, not only for Tiki, but, you know, um, throughout, throughout all of this. So, you know, but speaking back to that music, um, that was that kind of your first steps into like the kind of loungy bachelor pad style, you know, mid-century vibe. Was that the kind of the yeah. first intro? Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I, ah, went I did to not know vintage, that. Yeah. I went to vintage car shows all the time with my dad. Like, you know, there, there was, there was always car stuff going on a lot in my life. Um, and I think that kind of exposes you to other things just because like, you know, they, these things tend to bleed over with one another. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's always like tiki stuff in the swap meets of these car shows, you know, just because it's, it's a natural, natural pairing. Um, yeah, we would go to like Bob's big boy in Burbank, uh, you know, on Fridays where they would have like cruise nights and things, you know, it's, it's a huge part of the culture of Southern California. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild to hear you say that. Well, number one, I didn't know you were from Southern California. Number two, it's just hard to imagine anybody in New York being super into car culture. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, it's something I definitely had to put uh, put on hold, but I, I still love it. I, I, and every once in a while, I'll try to like use a name from uh, car, you know, car culture. I, I, I remember at Pride Meets, I had a galliano banana cocktail that i named after a studebaker model called the golden hawk nice should definitely revisit that drink <laughs> yeah for sure but, yeah yeah so how, so how did that you're you're starting to make some drinks at home at what point did you decide that maybe uh you should go look for a job in the industry i mean you're working yeah, in radio um, at this point yeah so i i found jeff barry um kind of in a similar way to uh, the way Brian Miller did. He was in a New York Times article talking about New York and just, tea, you know, just in general, like tropical drinks and, and Tiki Revival and all that. Um, and uh, I thought the article was really intriguing. I think at the time they may have even filmed a video with him. And I just went on eBay and bought his books uh and somebody was selling all of them except for sip and safari which i think was about to come out at the time um and i bought all of them and then sipping and sort of got them in in one you know one week and i was uh still underage at the time and uh luckily i had a friend who was working at aster and was also like a bit of a oh, kind wow, of yeah. you know foodie weirdo person and uh <laughs> Uh, you know, was like, hey, if you want to put these together, I'll I'll try and like get you some stuff. <laughs> it, was, it was, yeah, he doesn't work there anymore, so this is not a reflection on the current. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what, what year would this have been? Like oh three, oh two? I'm trying no, to remember no, no, when no, not, Safari not, came out. Not that far ago. Uh, um, no, this was uh, this would have been around like oh seven, oh eight. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah I couldn't yeah, remember yeah. when Sip and Safari came out, and the last several years kind of blur together. Those last three years don't count, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. No, but it was fun, and you know, it it was definitely just kind of noodling around with this stuff. I was, I, I, I felt some connection to it that I had never had with like other create, you know, creative endeavors I'd done like, you know, uh, music or, or writing or what have you. And I just kept, I kept going with it. Even when I was, you know, uh, in, in school and when I was working at WFUV, I just was constantly 
trying drinks and making drinks and just working on it. And at a certain point, you know, my, my job had kind of come to a, an end at FUV. And I was like, I should, if I'm going to spend all my time thinking about this stuff, maybe I should get paid to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and luckily, uh, I had done a one or two competitions as an amateur, um, that, uh, got me in contact with, uh, some, you know, industry people in New York, like Julie Reiner. And I had been a regular at her bar, Lonnie Kai. So she had seen my face around mm. and she mm. was kind enough to get me a bar backing, to recommend me for a bar backing job for a place she was consulting on, which was called Monkey Bar. Okay. Yeah. And it's a historic hotel bar that she was hired to, to, you know, just bump the program up a little bit. And she installed a bunch of her, you know, alumni from Flatiron and Clover. So I got, uh, you know, uh, I got a schooling very fast from everybody that, that worked there. And, you know, just also like the realities of, you know, what, you know, running a shift is and all that stuff. So, but it was great. And, um, that's, you know, that's kind of how it all started from there. yeah, straight into the deep end, you know. My I wish I had such a fun story. Mine is just slinging crappy drinks in the 90s, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like I mean, we did I didn't yeah, I didn't know what a decent cocktail was until uh well probably about the same time, but I had more years in the industry at that point. Uh, but so well, I mean you know, it, it's about the destination, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And we all it's funny that we all ended up in the same place, and that is one of the reasons that not only do I love the cocktail community. But I, I absolutely love the tiki community because we all came at it from different angles, like either music or maybe furniture, like mid-century architecture, uh, rockabilly, like you said, you know, or the Southern California car culture where like tiki hasn't ever really died, you know. So it it is kind of a cool community. We are definitely some of, well, <laughs> say we are the some of the younger ones in the tiki community, but that's changing quite a lot over the last decade and we're also not getting younger, but that's, that's why I laughed. I guess I'm like, well, not really anymore, but you know, I think it's just, there's, I think the accessibility to it is coming from different avenues now, you know, obviously like when the revival was really kicking, it was Tiki central and all of these events going on. And nowadays I'm seeing people getting into it through people like educated barfly and um people online that are you know posting and posting about cocktails or you know people like uh, uh spikes breezeway where they're they're ex- they're getting access to a younger generation through things like tiktok and youtube and it's really cool like i've done a couple of those things with with those guys you know a couple of videos and um it's i i, I have seen it turn some people on to the whole genre and come into sunken Harbor and be like, Oh, I, you know, I was just clicking around YouTube and found this and, you know, now I'm making drinks at home. And so I think you'll see, I think you'll see a, a, a new group of people. Oh, very it's, soon, I it's think. wild. And you know, you're talking about spikes breezeway. Absolutely. I mean, I was definitely aware of spike <clears throat> in the show and that he had a pretty good following. I did not realize how rabid that following was until we, um, did an episode with him at our um, anniversary fest a couple of years back. And we still, to this day, have people coming in, you know, from wherever, you know, all over the country. But they're like, oh, we saw you guys on Spike show. We couldn't wait to come on or to come in and have a drink. We saw you on Spike. We saw you on Spike. I'm like, wow, that's, I mean, he's got a very, very dedicated following. It's, um, 
good for him, man. Like, I mean, he's killed it for such a short time that he's been doing it. And obviously he puts a ton of work into it. Um, but you actually were recently on an episode, right? I was, yeah. I but you did it at go. the breezeway, right? You were actually at, at the breezeway. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Some someday, hopefully he'll come to Sunken Arbor Club in Brooklyn. But um, yeah, my my folks are still in Southern California. So I wanted to go. It's it, you know, and I, I finally had some time to uh, go down to his place. But yeah, it was gorgeous. Yeah, he's and, put a lot of work and money into that place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we got to talk about, um, which is a, it's a big passion of mine is, you know, I got to kind of talk about frozen drink technique and blender cocktails and, um, you know, how, how I approach that. And actually the drink that I did on the channel was, uh, an original drink of mine that was created basically for tropical standard called the cloud forest. And it's kind of in the vein of a colada but also uses some stuff from the missionary's downfall and it's 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 you know it's vodka and thai basil lime and coconut blended and it's really good <laughs> sounds delicious yeah yeah so you know we're, we're getting into it it sounds like you know because you're talking about making those improvements on frozen drinks and you know that's definitely an area where there's a lot of room for improvement because we've been served such terribly diluted slushy crappy resort cocktails for so many years and a, fro a good frozen drink is amazing, um, but finding the good ones can be uh, a trick. So, uh, you know, when you started to kind of get your grounding in the industry, figuring out how these cocktails are made, knowing how to run a shift, what was the jump into like kind of like questioning the techniques? Is there a better way to do this? Is there yeah. a more interesting way? You know, you talked about Dave Arnold and listening to uh, Cooking Issues um, or his show before. Um, yeah. So where, where was the big jump? I mean, you obviously got schooled with some pretty badass bartenders very early on in the career. Did that open any doors for you? It did. Yeah. And then that, that led me, um, you know, to condense long story, but I, I worked at prime meats for a while, which Damon Balti was running. Um, and oh, that's he, right. He, I was trying. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Yeah. It, he had a crazy staff because basically <laughs> it was, like all these superstars in New York, it was like their other job. So it was like Natasha David and Katie Stipe and uh, and Karen Fu and Jim Kearns, like, you know, people that were working at PDT and running uh, Maison Premier and all this stuff. This was their second job. So I was like exposed to a lot of information there. Um, I had met, um, I met Brian Miller through being a regular at Lonnie Kai, but also then getting closer to him through working at Prime Meats and the staff there. And I'd done a lot of his uh, his Tiki Monday pop-ups um, quite a bit. So I think that was sort of the first step in just thinking about these, these drinks and remixing them and rebalancing them. Because, I mean, Brian was... At one point, he was doing this pop-up every week with nine new drinks every week, which was insane. And then it became like a quarterly thing. That is wild. But, nine new drinks every single week. Yeah. And a guest bartender every time. I mean, it was it, it was incredible. Um, so that was definitely the first step. And then, you know, I had had my hand in a couple of programs that I got to kind of help curate, um, like, slowly, surely. But there was a certain point where I had I had kind of had a clear board um and i had been making drinks for a while and i kind of wanted to stop 
saying, you know, stop giving ideas and start getting new input. And um, I had served Jack Schramm, who used to work at Booker and Dax, um, at Slowly Surely when I was running it. And we had just, you know, kept in contact and liked each other's vibe. And uh, I kind of heard through the grapevine that Dave was doing a new bar. And uh, I happened to not have a job at the time. And I texted him. And, you know, that's sort of where it started from there. And the first day was like literally Don Lee coming up and explaining, you know, like the breakdown of like what a lemon and a lime is in uh, <laughs> acidity, which, you know, it sounds like, well, who cares? But like, uh, but really, like, if you ask any bartender, like, what's the difference between the two? Like, probably a lot can't say, even in fancy bars. And like hearing that and then him going like one step further and being like, okay, now that you know the difference between these two things, can we make other fruits act like these fruits? And like just going down this rabbit hole of like looking at the structure of things and reevaluating them. And it's so important for tropical drinks because they're so dependent on the balance of acid sweet and water and strong. And after, you know, after going through the training and existing and helping it open, you know, I, I was like, I really gotta like go back to some of these, you know, specs and see if if what i just went through can help some of these drinks out when you were working at existing conditions did you have an opportunity to really think about the tropical cocktails or were you really more focused on you know the the rest of the bar program i mean obviously you had some very nice rum drinks and some like forays into like a tropical cocktail but um you know were, were you kind of given carte blanche or were you kind of doing that at home well, Dave, yeah, David and Don were very encouraging uh, to me to explore a lot of this stuff. I was able to, like, one of the first things I worked on there was sort of working on Don's mix as a cordial, which was really cool. Like, um, reevaluating Don's mix through, like, the lens of what we were doing. Um, but what was going on in the background was, even before I took the job at Existing, I was kind of following in the steps of... of Brian and and just also wanting to just have a creative output where I could explore these things. I started my own pop-up called Exotica, started it slowly, surely, and then it moved to Rain's Law Room um, in in Midtown because uh, it was a little bit of a bigger location for people to walk around in. And um, Rain's gave me kind of just open platform um, to explore what I wanted to explore i didn't have to you know rely on any sponsorship or what have you i could just put a menu together and see what worked what didn't work and uh it was great and basically while i was working on existing i started to fold some of these techniques into um all the all all the all the drinks that you and i love so much. yeah absolutely <laughs> so for some of the listeners out there that aren't in the industry um you know I guess give an example of some of the different thinking and the, some of the different techniques that you employed uh, that you were kind of learning while working at existing, um, you know, I, yeah, I don't know, well, something that um, really, that maybe, or maybe even the first one you learned, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it can be very difficult to explain to people, you know, uh, why I guess. And that's, I think that's my favorite thing about the whole kind of modernist movement is, you know, not, not many people ask the why, you know, and even in other industries as well, you know, it's like, here's how we do this. Okay. 
Why? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think in in tropical <laughs> standard, we're we are we're very intent on explaining not not only the why of some of these things, but like where they came from, and you know what what the inspiration was, you know when you know where I was working at the time or who who I was exposed to. But anyways, to answer your question, so um, I think a really good one. And it's definitely been like one of the more popular drinks from Tropical Standard, and it was it was a drink at the Exotica pop up. Um, was the the Navy Grog, and I'm a big fan of the Trader Vic's style Navy Grog, which is you know more spice driven um, than the original from Don the Beachcomber, which is more of like a honey grapefruit cocktail. And there's a lot of mystery surrounding the Trader Vic's style Navy Grog, and um, I utilized two techniques I learned basically that first week at existing. One was like the Navy Grog is all about the grapefruit, like that super tart grapefruit. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing lime juice and grapefruit juice, I'm just using grapefruit juice that's as tart as like lemon. So it's very, it's acidic grapefruit juice. And that's a technique that's called acid adjusting, where you make a fruit that's not as acidic as a lemon or a lime as acidic as a lemon or a lime so that it can be the star of the show. It can be the only, only, you know, acid in your drink. Um, and that really concentrates flavors. It minimizes water content. It focuses things. I think that's the issue and the kind of the why with some of these cocktails is, you know, tiki drinks can get pretty muddy and can kind of taste gray tasting after a certain point if things aren't in balance. And, from a historical perspective, you know, fruits have changed over time. The, the, the grapefruit that you get at the grocery store is not what they were using in the 50s and 40s and 30s. And in a way, this technique allows you to sort of fight that agribusiness back and make this really intense grapefruit. Because, you know, the grocer, groceries, they're worried about selling grapefruit for you know, salads and breakfast and, you know, they're not concerned with cocktails. Really. <laughs> right. And um, so, yeah, the base of that Navy Grog used this very acidic grapefruit juice. And then the Trader Vic's style Navy Grog had this like secret spice syrup. So we thought, what if we could turn Coca-Cola into a syrup, which is already a secret spice thing, and make it like an all-spice syrup? And that's a technique that's called sugar adjusting or bricks adjusting, where you measure the inherent sugar within something and then turn it into a syrup. And it's fun because, you know, once you know how to do that, you know, you get a case of like blood oranges at your bar or at the, you know, grocery store down the street, and you want to have some blood orange cocktails, you could just squeeze them that day. And have, you know, a couple blood orange drinks for like the next couple of days before the juice goes bad. Or if you, you could turn it into a syrup that's the same sweetness as simple syrup. And then, you know, you know how to use it right out the box. And, you know, that syrup will last for a month or two. And you can start plugging it into things you already know, like uh, a Tommy's Margarita or a Collins or Pisco Sour. You can just swap that in. Um, and that's where it started to get really fun is once we started to get these ingredients that had like a lot of integrity to them. It was beefing up a lot of the flavors that were already inherent in some of these, these drinks or had maybe just been lost through right. time. Mm. 
Yeah, through like the change in produce and like you said, uh, what we're even um, able to get like extraction wise on that. It's just kind of turning all of the flavors up to either 11 or back to 10 where they were in the first place. So it sounds like an existing and how many years was I mean, it wasn't there long, which is a bummer. And like I said, it was one of my favorite bars in New York. It's also really convenient to wherever I usually stayed. But uh, how many years was the place open? I think we, I, and it's been a, it's been a while now. I yeah, believe I know, it was 28, 20, 2018 that we opened. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like three years, something, something about right. It was pandemic victim. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but at what point, so you're, you're rolling, right? You're, You've got these things going, you're hitting a stride, you're figuring out all of your sugar adjusting, acid adjusting. Yeah. At what point do you start thinking, you know, this should be a book? Yeah, um, I tested it. I kind of tested that out at uh, Tiki Oasis, you know, where we we got to kind of hang out for, um, you know, a minute and a half. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in, 2019 um and i did it in arizona and san diego as a seminar and yes, the topics right. were just too big as a seminar it was it was yeah, like yeah. it was and there was a lot more to say also and but you know after doing it in front of an audience and seeing some people's interest in it um that kind of clicked in the back of my mind and then also it was just getting really tough to you know, I had had some recipes out in the media through things like Punch and, you know, other kind of publications, but I could never get into the more minutia of like this cordial that we're talking about. This is how you make it. This is the process this is the thought process mm. behind it. Like yeah. I was always condensing and simplifying. And I was like, that's not really what people want because I would get DMs all the time. That's like, yeah, can you follow up on these things that were in the article? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and yeah, for point, for our listeners like, out there, like we get hit up for cocktail recipes all the time for these sorts of articles. And what he's saying is exactly the case. Like you can't, you don't get three pages, you know, you get a paragraph if yeah. <laughs> that, and you give a recipe and you usually have like uh, an hour to get it submitted over because somebody's waited until the last minute to ask for it. Um, but yeah, there's absolutely no room for really to, to do what you do at your home bar, which is very frustrating uh, because, you know, you're trying to submit a recipe that's going to obviously have your name on it or your bar's name, and it's not necessarily representative of what you do because you've had to strip back a lot of the things that people aren't familiar with at home or they can't do at home, like acid adjusting, those sorts of things. So I just, I wanted to that make that oh, yeah, sidebar no, there because there's... it's it's very, it's a just a part of the industry you wouldn't think about until you're in it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, until you get the email that says, oh, right. can, you do a, <laughs> can you do a gin drink that's four ingredients and original, but doesn't require any extra syrups or anything, <laughs> right. and it's still tropical, you know, yeah, yeah, there's like all these. And I need it by, by 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah, but th that's the thing is, is working with Dave and Don, um, I saw so many people come into existing that were would make stuff at home that were that was very complicated and to me I, I that started to sort of show the disconnect between like some of the media experiences that we're talking about 
and what people actually were willing to do, you know, because like think about it at, around the same time, you know, like 2018, 2019, that's like when coffee YouTube started exploding and yes. people were doing really complicated, you know, gram scale recipes at home just for their daily coffee routine. And for me, I was like, okay, if, if people are willing to go that far, maybe we don't have to simplify and we can actually say what's happening and and you know if people want to make the choice to do it they can or if they they can do it simplified and i i think seeing those things happening you know gave me a little bit more courage to say why don't we give them the full story so you had made the decision to do the full book prior to the world closing it was in my mind but then you know once once covid happened then uh, that pushed it forward more um, and my co-author, Ben Schaefer, who uh, he wrote the first Dead Rabbit book, and he also runs the Rum Reader uh, online. Um, he approached me in June of 2020. And originally, he wanted to do a series of books, like a, of small books, like the, you know, like the 33 and a third record books, those like little small collectible books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wanted He wanted to do this series of books about just parts of New York cocktail culture. And he wanted to write about uh, the Exotica pop-up I had done, because I think at that point I had done like nine or 10 menus and he was a regular of it. And um, we started talking and he was like, you know, just like sketch some ideas out, send it to me in an email and I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll see if this would work for the series. And the outline that I sketched out, which was kind of in my brain from, you know, starting from Oasis, in 2019, um, was for a, you know, a 250 page book. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he came back and he was like, this is a lot bigger. Uh, but I would, I would rather do this honestly than what I was thinking. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how travel standard really started was it from that just quick kind of phone call and email exchange. And then, you know, it was a long process of, you know, we went the traditional route because we really wanted to expose as many people to this idea as possible and kind of change hearts and minds. And, you know, I think in maybe some of your listeners don't know is like some books in the tropical and tiki canon are independently published and are sold by their authors. And, you know, we went the traditional route of, you know, finding an agent and getting a publisher and all that, which takes months to do. Yeah, it's definitely a daunting process. I mean, we've talked about it several times on the show. We've had numerous authors on the show that have gone through this process and it's yeah, it's a lot. It's probably the <laughs> one reason I've never made any attempt to even think about doing a book because it's just it's a lot of energy to put out there um uh, to do this. I mean, an amazing um, uh, you know, co-author which you know, worked out really well and with the experience. But yeah, man, I mean, the the one other thing that I often think about when I think of a cocktail book is uh, another cocktail book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many. And in the last ten years, we have seen. I mean, I've this shelf behind me. I'm not sure if your videos on, you can see me, but oh like, yeah, I mean, no, there's I, hundreds I of cocktail books yeah. back there, and those are just the ones that I decided were relevant to my interests. Um, and there's so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of more. And a lot of times, especially in, you know, for us Tiki files, it starts saying the same thing. And when you're saying the same thing, you're really just saying what 
Jeff Barry said, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's like, why do you need to, yeah, why do you need to rehash that? And yeah, and it also means that then things get stagnant. And right, right. It's exactly right. And that's the way I feel is that, you know, these most cocktail books, it's it's so hard to peel away from the pack these days and to say something that hasn't been said, not only to say something that hasn't been said, you know, about the industry or about drinks, but to do a whole book that hasn't been said, right? Because I mean, if you have one amazing drink in it, that's cool. Probably not going to buy your book just to learn a cocktail. But like, I feel like Tropical Standard really pushed itself off from the pack very early on. And anybody that knew you was expecting that. Uh, but it's definitely, it adds a lot to the conversation. And there's so few books out there that do that now. Because again, you know, we're all so interconnected. We've all worked with each other. We've all worked for each other. We all have gone to conventions together or cocktail competitions. And so this kind of, uh, you know, relationship where everybody's sharing and sharing and sharing all the time, it's very hard to add to the conversation. And, uh, and I think I texted you when it came out. They're like, thank you. Finally, <laughs> a cocktail book that actually like I can dig through again. You know, it's kind of got... Those things that like maybe wouldn't like cocktail codex and you know those books that you're like oh shit I'm reading this you know front to back. Well, thank you. That I mean, those are very kind words, and that's exactly what we were going trying to go for. And it was actually the, the beginning of what you were just saying was a lot of the conversations we had with publishers, which I think some were receptive to, some were felt like it was a form of criticism. Where we were like, you know, how many books do you need where it explains how to make a margarita again? You know, and and yeah, I mean, that was definitely the uphill battle was trying to say, like, we want to do something. New. I mean, that's like that's the old joke in Hollywood, right? Is like if you if you don't want to get picked up by a network or a studio is like never say that this is brand new and like doing something, you know, that's never been done before because nobody wants to take a chance on it. But um, yeah, but luckily we we did uh find a publisher that was willing to work with us and uh was supportive of us but um it was it was funny because you know we were having a lot of these conversations conversations when the world was shut down and the model before 2020 for a lot of books was you know based on a bar and they were still playing that playbook and it was like well bars aren't open like what, what you know, you know. I was like, what you, you could, you know, it, yeah. Is 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 there was a lot of very interesting conversations during that time. The landscape changed so much. I mean, you know, when a lot of those bars that when we closed temporarily, a lot of us weren't able to reopen. And, and yeah, like, I mean, I guess that's the shortcut to knowing that you have something unique. Is like, here's how we do it at my restaurant or my bar. Um, that's one way to guarantee the uniqueness. But again, you know. How many books do you need on the best cocktail bars in the world? When there were like a handful in the country, you know, fantastic. Right. Yeah. And, now that they're like every storefront in New York, it's a little bit, you know, overwhelming. And I think the the interesting thing about, you know, some of these recipes is they 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 jumped around. You know, I was able to, it, I was able to like make some of these behind the bar at Prime Meat. Some of them were at Slowly Surely. Some of them were at existing. Some of them, you know, it wasn't just one bar. And then I was able to reevaluate all of them when I was writing them kind of through the lens of, you know, the last couple of years I'd been working. And then it got a final 
kind of uh, filter on top of it, which was I I opened Sunken Harbor Club with Sinjin Frizzell, and uh, some of these recipes got to uh, be served at Sunken, and we got to do some last minute tweaks based on you know serving that those you know five to seven days a week, and I think it, it made the recipe stronger going through multiple iterations and multiple times. Cause I mean, I, you, I'm sure you've gone through this where you've served some, you know, something, a, a recipe at, you know, a convention or maybe at a bar and then you go back to it and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, why is, why did I think this was good? And, you know, if you do that three or four times with the recipe at a certain point, it becomes, you know, it's not, it, not a hundred percent, but it's fairly bulletproof at that point. If it right, yeah, yeah, we use we go by the rule that if we start arguing about milliliters, like when we're down to one or two milliliters, then it's time to like spend our time on something else, you know. When everybody's like, I think it needs one more milliliter, like, okay, come on, we're arguing about single milliliters now, just stop, we'll move on to the next drink. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that these drinks are on a menu now, and I definitely wanted to talk about that because, by the way, I'm so happy about Sunken Harbor, I haven't got a chance to come yet, but like. Man, what what a dream gig for you, you know? Um, you know, you get to do like you said all of these very cool drinks, employ some from different techniques into tropical cocktails. Gorgeous place. Um, you know, and in New York it's it's it really has struggled uh with with tiki bars and tropical bars and you know exotic all of it. It's just it's been a tough it's been a tough uh thing for New York to grasp onto. Um so, you know, I, I couldn't be happier about Sunken Harbor. I mean, it's just, it's amazing that you landed there and it's doing exactly what you want to do. I mean, to fill me in how that came about. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a nice set of circumstances. It was, you know, I was starting to wind the book down. It wasn't, you know, we kind of had six or seven months after that of, of working on the book, but it was more, you know, edits, tweaks, all that kind of stuff. But um, I had run into, uh, visiting my folks in LA, I had kind of run into the crew that was filming the Don, the Beachcomber documentary. Oh my God. Yes. I can't wait, man. It's so excited about that. <laughs> yeah. And just luckily I, I had found out that they were coming to New York to, uh, interview Shannon, uh, Mustfer and, you know, I was like, Hey, I'd like to talk on camera. If you're cool with this, I have this, you know, book coming out and, and, uh, yeah, they want to, they want to talk with me. So uh, they wanted to shoot an interview and I really didn't have a spot to, to talk because existing was no longer, um, you know, just some of the other bars I worked at, it just wasn't going to work for the, the type of interview we were doing. And I just, I sent a message to Sinjin Frizzell, um, he was opening so so Sunken Harbor Club is part of Gage and Tolner. It's the second floor, and Gage and Tolner it's a historic steakhouse in Brooklyn um, that was reopened and revitalized. And they were supposed to open the first week of March of 2020. So oh, like just ouch, yeah, yeah. So they shut down and they were revamping. They were just I think they had just reopened at that point. But I knew that Sunken Harbor Club is sort of the part two for that even before the shutdown. And I just sent him a message. And I was like, Hey, um, I have no idea like what the state of your, your of sunken is, but 
um, is it nice enough to film like an interview in there? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, you know, I'll get you location fee and all that stuff. And and we did the interview there and I was like, this is gorgeous. This is incredible. And at the same time, I was sort of starting to look for work because the book was, was coming to an end. And you know, like a month, uh, about a month went by and I was like, why didn't I ask for a job? There? <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> you know, and luck and, you know, I sent him a follow up message and I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on with opening this spot, but do you need help? And he was like, yeah, we had to reopen downstairs, you know, after opening it, uh, we definitely need help. And, um, I came in and they were really, um, gracious about, you know, folding me into what had already happened. And, um, you know, then listening to the direction that I wanted to take it in. And, um, it was, it was great. Cause I, you know, the, the book kind of became a template for the manual for the bar. And then the two started to inform each other, which was great. And, um, I remember one of the first things we did was think about the menu and, and, I think originally they wanted to kind of go with like a, here's some classics, here's some contemporary. And I was, you know, in one of our early meetings, I said, look, you know, in writing Tropical Standard, all the old menus I looked at were always light, medium and heavy. And, you know, the the old Dawn system was like before sunset, sunset and later. And I really like that. And I haven't seen that in a bar in New York, maybe ever. And I was like, do you want to try give that a try? I mean, and it was a lot of conversations like that where it was like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, just move from there. And, th- and then that for us, that became three depths of the sea. So we have the in the shallows, the twilight zone and the abyss, you know, and it's great. And actually, I think it's really user friendly. And, you know, you kind of forget how smart that was in the 30s to, to do because it's self-regulating. You know, and even if the drinks are slightly vague in their description, you're like, okay, this is a strong drink. So if I've had a bad day, maybe that's where I go. Or if I have a really long professional night ahead of me, maybe I won't touch any of this cocktails, you know? Yeah. So how's the um, reception been? I mean, obviously it's been positive, but like um, client wise, I mean, you're getting tons of regulars, you're getting travelers, a little bit of both. Yeah, we definitely get travelers visiting from all over. Um, You know, we have a lot of regulars of, of the neighborhood because we're in South Brooklyn. You know, we have people that sometimes hit us before hitting Gage and Tolner. So they kind of make like a whole night of it, which is kind of cool because like in the mid-century, you know, you had the steakhouse and, you know, the the exotic drinks, you know, at two different locations. And this is in, in one. So it's kind of, uh, you know, a full experience there. But, you know, we also have this like passport program where we get a lot of people that you know come in to do these challenges to become a member of the sunken harbor club um yeah and it's it's been cool we just did our one of our more dramatic menu flips this past week um where i think we probably took out about 65 percent of the menu maybe maybe yeah, uh, you know, because it's I you you guys go through this too. There's certain drinks that you're never going to cut, like a mai tai, and so it it starts to get difficult. Of like, what are we going to swap in and out? What are we going to leave? Um, but I'll, I'll say like for your listeners, I think some of the things that make us unique, you know, besides like the back of house technique stuff, is like we're really passionate about stirred tropical. Like we always have at least like two or three on the menu. 
Um, you know, we have a, th this is also in tropical standard. We have a white Negroni that uses mezcal and a banana liqueur that we make from scratch called the Tijuana Taxi, um, which sells really well. Um, we're also really passionate about carbonated cocktails. Um, you know, I think highball cocktails are naturally part of the tropical drinks genre. If you think about things like dark and stormies, rum and tonics, you know, um, even the regular gin and tonic is a hot weather drink, um, you know, Cuba Libre. And um, yeah, we're, we built, we build our carbonated drinks the same way we did at existing, which is like using a CO2 tank, carbonating all the ingredients. And, you know, there's a huge set of fans that we have that come just for the bubbles and really like that. And it's a, it's a nice break from something that's on crushed ice. That's juicy. It's almost palate cleansing to get those like scrubbing bubbles on your tongue. Oh, absolutely. I'm a big fan of that. Non-alcoholic as well. I love carbonated beverages other than yeah. water. Don't like bubbly water. I don't, I don't know why. It's just, I, I heard somebody refer to it as it tastes like TV static. TV like, static yeah, is really that's, good. Yeah. That's kind good. Of, yeah it's, it's, it's on, it's on point and, you know, but everything else, I absolutely love that. And so, uh, you know, the Tiki files will find you wherever you, you go. And, and like I said, New York's kind of struggled um, not with people that were passionate about tropical cocktails or running these, like you just talked about Brian Miller and various incarnations of him pushing it on Tiki Mondays or whatever. And then of course, the, you know, previous uh, incarnations of Trader Vic's and such, but, you know, um, as it stands now, pretty, pretty hard to, to get a nice tropical cocktail there. Yeah, I mean, not impossible, but it is a city of 9 million you know, people. Now, yeah. You now, know. You know, now we have two solid options, which I think, you know, is sort of like where Chicago, Chicago was, in the last decade, uh, you know, with like when they had Lost Lake and Three Dots. And, you know, now we have Sunken Harbor Club and Paradise Lost, which the guys from Paradise Lost I worked with at um, Happiest Hour and Slowly Surely. So they're old, old family. Um, and yeah, I'm totally into like Tiki Satanism. Yeah, I mean, yeah no, that's very <laughs> so... I, when you visit, you and I should go there because that'd be a really fun, fun night. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I can get behind this 100%. So like, are you seeing more of the Tiki travelers like come out? Because I mean, you know, it's, there's been kind of ups and downs, but primarily it hasn't really been a strong Tiki destination. So are you, are you starting to get those folks? Because we've definitely seen at the Inferno Room when we opened, I don't think we had any idea how much like Tiki Files, mid-century mods, like hot rod guys. I don't think we knew how far those folks would travel to get a cocktail. Yeah. Like the, just the first weekend we were open, we had dudes that had driven in from Vancouver, Canada. We had somebody that drove from Texas just to be there for opening weekend. And we were just like, what? To come drink here? Are you crazy? <laughs> You know, so are you seeing that now as like, it's becoming, like you said, you've got two really good, strong options, very close. Yeah. And now. it's been, it's it on the other end of that conversation. It's been really cool to see people that have the book that have come to the bar and, you know, or bring the book to the bar and get it signed. And like, that's, that's been a, you know, thrill for me. And um, yeah, you know, we have a lot of it, these events at Sunken Harbor club where we try to sort of gather uh, all the fans, we, we, once a month, we do, uh, something called sunken Sundays where we'll have, you know, guest lecturers come in and sometimes it's cocktail related. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's like chefs or hospitality or just authors, but we've had Robert Simonson in, we we've had, um, uh, Jeff Berry did his zombie seminar 
Yeah, I was going to say, Jeff was just there a couple weeks yeah. ago, wasn't he? Or was it been a month or something? I talked to him the night before he flew into New York. Yeah, so that's been that's been really fun. And I think that's something we're going to continue to do and, you know, try to get different perspectives, different angles on this and just kind of have that ongoing education. Um, that that kind of final mo- couple months where we were still writing the book and the bar was was going, I think it was pretty invaluable to the the final story of 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 tropical standard because it you know originally when we were writing it we were just kind of writing it when the we were in our apartments and having that kind of happier mm, note right. where it was like oh yeah and now these recipes live at this bar and you can go there like you know it's just it's a much better ending than you know that's a super happy ending for the book i mean I pres- i'm guessing that it's probably also the beginning of a second book but is do you on your menu um do you try to make sure that you always have a book cocktail or something similar so that you know the the nerds that like have brought their book like they can get an example of what it tastes like from the creator yeah there's there's a few that are kind of the staples uh um of the menu like the 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 navy grog which we call the rhyme of the ancient mariner at um sung in harbor club but it is the navy grog that's in tropical standard is on the menu the mai tai that's in the book is is on the menu and yeah and you know i think now um this this latest menu flip you know it's it's a lot of my staff uh, you know and fellow bartenders they've worked on their own cocktails using some of these techniques and us collaborating together and that's been really cool to see is you know reinterpreting some of these ingredients and you know putting them in a totally different direction. Right. Well, like I said, it sounds like the beginning of a second one now that <laughs> yeah, you totally actually be, have yeah. collab collaborators again, yeah. right? Like, because you had to do all the rest of it in a vacuum when the world was closed. So yeah, it's it, it was kind of refreshing to be able to like get collaborating with people again. You know, when I, I really kind of lost my juju there for a couple of years, which was also another large reason we I stepped back from the show felt very hypocritical to be <laughs> pretend to be excited because I was just burnt out and tired. And I was just kind of looking for that, you know, spark again. And I can tell you being in Japan, that did it for sure. Like if it wasn't already heading in a positive direction, Japan definitely uh, kind of flipped that back. Speaking thereof, any plans to go to the Trader Vic's 50th anniversary in Tokyo? I'm actually going to Japan in the next two days. Uh, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you were there, we had kind of just missed missed each other. Um yes, by like yeah, a week, I think. Which <laughs> is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, no, it was also insanely inspirational for me. Um I put a drink on the menu pretty shortly after I got back last year that was um I, I'm sure when you were over in, in Japan, you probably had a ton of like the sochu highballs, like the shuhai. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and them. you know, in, in Japan, I, I was just excited about being able to get like a variety of shochu. Yeah. Like it's just so hard to get here in the States and like, Oh my God, there's a hundred on this list. No, it's incredible. And, and the carbonation, like the basic bubbly water in there is like 10 times better than like a Tobo Chico. So like your, your base level carbonation is great. And then it just goes up from there. But, um, for me, uh, when I got back, I wanted to do, this mashup between like a lemon sour shuhai and uh, a ray and ting. And Ooh. that ended up becoming the Ginza lights on our menu. So like I, I made a lemon grapefruit soda, like white grapefruit soda. And then we carbonate it with Japanese rum and a little bit of black pepper. And it's, it's so good. <laughs> 
That sounds absolutely delicious. Well, I, I, I know we could talk for the next five hours, but we're definitely going to have to have you back on the show here soon. Um, you know, uh, by the way, what projects do we have going on now? I just, I guess I should ask that before we go to websites and all that. Um, you're going to Japan? Is this for no, no, just for, pleasure? for for pleasure? I'm going with hey, going with you. my partner Kayla, and we're gonna have a really good time. And yeah, yeah, it's a perfect thing after flipping a menu. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, it's great timing. Great timing. So, um, where can everybody find all these cool things that we're talking about? When we've already talked about. Um, location of the bar but uh, what's the website uh, of sunken harbor yeah so the on instagram it's sunken harbor club nyc because we have two locations we have another location in bermuda really yes yeah it's yeah how did i not know that i mean i'm never in bermuda maybe that's why follow up (laughs) follow-up show we'll have to talk about that yeah but uh yeah the website is uh www.sunkenharbor.club and tropical standard you can get through all your big bookstores and uh, a lot of small ones as well. You can get it through Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, if you want to go independent, Kitchen Arts and Letters in New York has a lot of signed copies and uh, you know ships online. And we also have an Instagram for Tropical Standard called Tropical Standard Book. And yeah, and then my personal personal one is just Garrett J Richard on Instagram. And I try to answer as many questions about syrups and cocktails and anything you've made uh, as quickly as I can. If I don't answer immediately, it's because I'm working a shift. <laughs> right. Working a shift or in another country with a 13-hour time difference. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming onto the show, man. I know we've been planning on this for a long time and there's been a lot of bumps in the road, but I do appreciate you coming on. Definitely going to have you back. I'd love to chat after you get back from Japan for sure. Yeah, we got uh, to uh, bartend side by side at some point. <laughs> I feel like that's I feel like that's the next step. We gotta make some. Yeah, we, we we should do an event. You know, actually I do need to get to New York this summer at some point. My wife's been driving me crazy to get away for a weekend somewhere. So that actually would be sound like a, a well, weekend wouldn't be great because I've got to work and you've got to work. But you know, our yeah, weekend. I feel like a Monday. Both, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. We're we're both in the cults of the uh, black magic cocktail. So yeah. you know, we, we gotta we gotta share our love of coffee, citrus drinks at some point. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. Till next time, everybody. Mahalo. 